Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. Turn over, if you have your Bible, to Acts chapter 12 as we go back to studying the book of Acts. So, of course, we've been off a few weeks for Christmas and the new year, but now we're coming back and we will start back in the book of Acts with Acts chapter 12. And let me just kind of remind you why we are studying the book of Acts, because you're going to see it today as we read God's Word. But if you remember back several, several years ago, we spent a lot of time talking about what God is going to do in the future. So we spent a lot of time with Jesus' words about the future, and then we spent a long time, I don't know how long, but we spent a long time in the book of Revelation to see what all is going to unfold as Jesus Christ returns to this earth. So what I believe with all my heart, and because I believe it, because it's biblical, I believe before Jesus Christ returns, He tells us what it's going to be like. He tells us that there are going to be birth pains. And of course, if you know anything about birth pains, they get more intensified and they get closer the closer it gets to the woman about to give birth. And Jesus says His return is going to be the same way. And so we're going to have birth pains leading up to the birth of Christ. And some of those, he foretells what they're going to be. He says there's going to be wars, there's going to be threats of wars, there's going to be famines, there's going to be all kinds of natural disasters. He says there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be antichrists, many antichrists that come to this world to teach and to preach a different message than God's Word. But primarily, one of the birth pains that we are going to experience is persecution. The church is going to be persecuted and persecuted greatly just before the return of Jesus Christ. And it will be like birth pains. It will start and then it will intensify and they will get closer and closer together and it will spread all over the earth till the entire church on this earth is experiencing persecution. Now today on the earth around the world, there are pockets of the church experiencing great persecution, many of them in places like North Korea and Indonesia and Middle East and other places the church is being persecuted and persecuted greatly. You heard a lot of that last year when Nick Rickman was here and he shared about the persecution of the church. Now here in America, we haven't really experienced that, have we? We have pretty much relatively lived in peace as the church in America, but other places in the world, not so much. But I'm telling you, as it gets closer to the return of Jesus Christ, that is not going to be so. There are not going to be pockets of places that experience peace while others experience persecution. The church will experience persecution. I mean, Jesus said that. What did he say? He said, they hated me. Guess what they're going to do to you? They're going to hate you. They persecuted me. Guess what they're going to do to you? He said it. That is a promise of Scripture. Jesus said, you will be persecuted. So persecution is coming. And what do we read about in the book of Acts? Well, we read about persecution, and we read about how the church started in the book of Acts, and very early on, persecution came. And so, scripturally, I believe before Jesus Christ returns, all God is going to do is do what He did before. The church is going to end the same way it began. So if you read the book of Acts and see how the church began, that's how the church is going to end as Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. So what we read about in the book of Acts, what we study in the book of Acts, is not looking at the past and not looking at what God has done, but it's looking at what God is going to do again. Because I'm telling you, this is how Matthew 24, 14 is going to be fulfilled. 
And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, before he returns, something must happen. And what must happen is the nations of this earth must hear the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the end will come, meaning his return. And so the only way that's possible, unfortunately, because we are who we are, is through persecution. How did God get the gospel out of Jerusalem in the book of Acts? Did they do what he said? Did he just say, hey, go? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? He told them that. Did they do it? No. His command wasn't enough. His words were not enough. So he used persecution to propel the gospel to the ends of the earth. And what's he going to do before Jesus Christ returns? The same thing. Why do you think Jesus said, guys, when you're drugged into courts, when they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words. That's going to happen. And that is happening and it's going to happen all over the world. So that's why we're studying the book of Acts. So you will not only know what's going to happen, but so you can be prepared when it happens. And hopefully our response will be the same response as the early church because the early church responded and they responded with the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse of Scripture, I prayed for this church an entire year a few years ago. Acts 8, 4. When the church was scattered, what did they do? Holy cow, y'all don't know that? When the church was scattered, they preached the good news of Jesus everywhere they went. Okay, why were they scattered? Because they were persecuted. Stephen was just stoned to death. And Paul was going to arrest the church and kill them and do anything possible to them. But they responded with the gospel and telling the gospel wherever they went. And then Acts chapter 8, we have the story of Philip who went to a place called Samaria, a city there, and in the entire city was saved. And that happened, Why? because of persecution. Philip would have never went there without persecution, but persecution drove him there and drove the church there and they responded in an incredible way. Okay, so I wanted you to hear that before we read these verses. <laughs> because look there at Acts chapter 12. Start reading in verse 1. About that time, Herod Agrippa began to what? Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. Look at verse 2. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. Okay. So what's about to happen to the church again? Okay, now I don't know if you remember this, but in Acts chapter 9, of course, we studied about Saul's conversion and how Paul was converted miraculously. And there's a verse of scripture in there that says, after that, the church experienced peace and goodwill from all people. And during that time, the church grew. So Acts 9.31. Okay, so since that verse to Acts chapter 12, what has the church experienced? Relative peace. Now, what's happening? Why? To get the church to do what they're supposed to do. That's why. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture, but let me just real quick before we talk about that, let me just tell you who this dude is here, Herod Agrippa, because his family is pretty important in the Bible because we hear about a Herod a lot 
and they're not the same Herod. There are different Herods, but they're all a part of the same family. Okay, we just got through Christmas, and hopefully you read some of the Christmas story at Christmas. Who was the king who didn't like Jesus Christ being born? Herod the what? Okay, King Herod the Great. That would be Herod Agrippa's grandfather. Okay, so we're several years after the birth of Jesus, right? Okay, this, Acts chapter 12, would take place right around 10 years after the day of Pentecost, somewhere in there. So we're 10 years from the day of Pentecost, and so we know Pentecost was not long after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, but Jesus Christ was how old when he ascended into heaven? Somewhere around the age of 33. So he was born how much earlier than that? It's not a trick question, 33 years. Okay, so we don't know how old Herod the Great was when Jesus was born, but he was at least middle age probably. So now he's dead and gone, right? Because this is at least 40, maybe 50 years somewhere after the birth of Jesus is what we're reading at here in Acts chapter 12. So Herod Agrippa's grandson is now in charge. Now, Herod the Great, if you study history, and I mean, you can study the Bible and see that he's not a very nice person, but if you study history, especially Josephus, Herod the Great was not only a weird guy, he was a pretty mean guy. And so he had a lot of sons, but he wanted to remain in power and not let his sons take power. So do you know what he would do to his sons? He would kill them. He would kill them. And so Herod Agrippa's father was one of those sons he killed. Now just think about this family dynamic here. Okay. Now there is another Herod in the Bible that we read about after Herod the Great in the life of Jesus. And his name is Herod Antipas. Okay. Do you remember the story of John the Baptist? And remember what happened to him after he was in prison and the story of all him beheaded? Herod Antipas did that. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was being tried before Pilate and he told Pilate, well, or they told Pilate he's from Galilee and he said, oh, Galilee, I'm going to send him to the king of Galilee. And he sent him to another trial to stand before Herod Antipas. That's the same Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas would be the uncle of Herod Agrippa. He is the only son that survived Herod the Great. So Herod Agrippa is his nephew. And so this family is royalty, but the way they became royalty is they were a very wealthy family and they basically bought their royalty from Rome. And so Rome made them king over Israel and over different parts of Israel. They bought it. But they really weren't in charge. Okay, think about when Jesus was being tried. Who was in charge? Pontius Pilate. He was in charge, right? Now, was he a king? What was he? He was a governor of all Judea. Okay, so he was a governor. So he was the official from Rome who was in charge. So these guys, these Herods, they're kind of like the king of England. Okay, they can't do jack. But they're there, people look up to them, blah, blah, blah. But evidently, they had the authority to kill people. Because what happens here? They kill James. Okay? So this is how the church is being persecuted. 
Herod Agrippa kills James, John's brother. Now, it's really important who James is, I think, biblically, because we know James and John, the sons of thunder, and Peter were who? They were the closest to Jesus. Okay, when Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, who does He take with Him into the Garden as He prays? Peter, James, and John. And what does He ask them to do? Guys, pray with me. Guys, pray with me. And then He comes back. What are they doing? They're out like a lot. And He said, couldn't you just keep watch with me? Meaning pray. Couldn't you keep watch with me just for one hour? And He asks them again. So that's Peter, James, and John, the closest to Jesus Christ. Okay, but what's even more important than that do you remember not long before Jesus was crucified, James and John came to Jesus and asked Him a question. Do you remember the question? It said, when you enter your kingdom, can we sit on your right and your left? Remember that? Okay, do you remember what Jesus told them? He asked them a question. He says, can you drink from the cup? Remember that? He says, guys, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup of suffering I'm about to drink from? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized? And you know what they said? We got you! <laughs> now, they didn't understand kingdom life at this point because they're still thinking he's going to be like King Herod the Great. He's going to set up his kingdom on this earth and they're going to sit on an earthly throne and they're going to be in charge of whatever he gives them charge of. They still don't understand at this point kingdom mentality and spiritual kingdom life. But they tell him he can do it. And they ask for it. So what do both of them get? Well, James gets beheaded with the sword. Does he drink from the cup of suffering that Jesus Christ drank from? What about John, the Apostle John? Uh, we studied a lot in the book of Revelation what happened to the Apostle John. They tried to martyr him. They tried to kill him in a horrible way. A horrible way. They put him in a vat of boiling oil and they were going to burn him to death in that oil. He survived. Then they sent him to Isle of Patmos where we get the book of Revelation. So do they drink the cup of suffering Jesus drank from? They do. But they didn't know. They sure didn't know. But James loses his head here. Okay, now here's a good question. In Acts chapter 12, at the beginning, what is the church doing? I said at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, don't go into the story. They're about to pray, but they don't get to start praying until Acts chapter 12, 5. Okay, what are they doing in 12, 1? Are they doing anything else? They're enjoying peace, right? What happens when we enjoy peace? Yeah. Complacency, apathy. We like peace, right? But peace lulls us to sleep, does it not? What's happened to the church in America? I mean, I don't even know if we're asleep or dead, but that's what peace does, right? That's what peace does. 
So what has to happen to wake the church up? Isn't that sad? Isn't that really sad? But is it not who we are? I mean, in your life, is that not who you are? In your life, you think about moments in your life, times in your life. When are you seeking after God and when are you going after God the hardest? Is it in the good times? It's always in the bad times, isn't it? It's always in the heartache and in the pain and the suffering. Why does it take that? Why are we like that? That is so dumb. I mean, it's just so dumb that that's what it takes. But inevitably, that's what it takes, right? And that's what it takes for the church. James, the brother of John, is killed with a sword. Just means he's beheaded. Look at verse 3. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. But they didn't just pray. They prayed very earnestly for him. Now, there's a lot here that we're not going to get to, but let me just share with you a little bit. Now, of course, who is Herod Agrippa here trying to please? He's trying to please man, right? And you're going to see later on in Acts chapter 12, the reason for that is because he wants their worship. He wants the worship of man. Now, is he alone in that? No. That's the world, right? We want the worship and adoration of man. That's what we want, and that's what Herod Agrippa wants. So when he saw how much it pleased the people of Jerusalem that he killed James, the apostle, then he goes and arrests the ringleader of them all, Peter. Okay? He puts him in prison. Now, this is really important. Why does he put him in prison and not just go ahead and behead him right there, just like he did James? No, it says it. You got, don't miss this. This is really important. It's probably in parentheses in your Bible. This took place during Passover. Okay. What else took place 10 years earlier during Passover? Well, no, Pentecost is after Passover, but what had took place during Passover? Jesus was arrested, right? Okay, Jesus was taken for trial. Jesus was taken to the same prison Peter was taken here, the Fortress Antonia. He was scourged. He was mocked. He was beaten. And then he was crucified. Was that during Passover? Okay. So why wasn't Peter killed at Passover? Please understand this. They don't kill people at Passover. You don't do that. They never did that. With one exception. And do you know why? We'll go back to the book of Exodus to know why. <laughs> Who is Jesus Christ? The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. When is the Lamb sacrificed and its blood spilt for the forgiveness of sins? At Passover. That's why Jesus died on Passover, because God ordained it, and He ordained it from the beginning in the book of Exodus when He said, the death angel will pass over your house if you will just paint blood over your doorpost so that the blood will save you. 
And Jesus Christ, it all points to him. The whole Old Testament points to him. But they will not kill people on Passover. So Peter was spared until after Passover. Now, Passover is an eight-day festival in toll. So they were going to hold him there for eight days and then kill him. Now, just to be sure he was going to stay in jail, what did they do? They put him in maximum security prisons, what they did. Four squadrons of soldiers, four soldiers each, was guarding Peter so that they could kill him after Passover. But thank God the church did something. What did the church finally do? They started praying. Now, what did the church do early on? They prayed, right? I mean, what happens in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John are arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin? What are they doing? They're praying and they're lifting their voices together in prayer. And after Peter and John are freed, the Bible says after this prayer in Acts 4.31, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the Word of God with boldness because the church prayed. In Acts chapter 6, what is the church devoted to? God's Word and to prayer, to the prayer praying together, lifting their voices together in prayer. So finally, through persecution and seeing one of their leaders beheaded, it drove them to their knees. That's what persecution does. It drives us to our knees. And why do we need to be on our knees? Because how does God work? Through the prayers of His people. That's how He works. That's how He moves on this earth. That's how He's chosen it. That's how He's orchestrated it. So when we pray, what does God do? He moves. When we don't pray, what does God not do? He does not do the things He would have done if we would have prayed. That's just how it works. Now, does that mean God's will is not going to be accomplished? Nope. His will is going to be accomplished. But the way His will is accomplished can be different. And it can happen in different ways depending on what we do on our knees through repentance and prayer. Is that right? Well, you might not think it's right, but go read your Bible. Go read the book of Jonah. What happened to the, one of the most wicked cities on this earth? Nineveh. They got on their knees and repented, right? Did God destroy them? God saved them, right? But was His will accomplished? What happens a hundred years later? They get destroyed, right? God works through prayer and repentance, I'm just telling you. It changes things. It changes us. It changes situations. It changes circumstance. So maybe we want to pray, right? And maybe we don't want it to take persecution for us to pray, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what you want to say because you don't want persecution for you to pray. I'm just telling you. So maybe you should get on your knees before it comes and God will move. I'm just, I promise you that. He will move. Well, there's a lot here. This is another great chapter in the book of Acts. So we'll come back to it next week. So let me pray for us before we go. Lord, Thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the power in your word and thank you for the power of prayer and just that opportunity to do that. So Lord, I just pray for every person in this room. I pray that you would help us be faithful in prayer and you would use those prayers not only to change our life, to change this church, but to change our world for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, just move through us, we pray. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Gary's back here. If you want to talk to Gary a little bit about that. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.